Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength conditioning and strength conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Barbell Medicine Podcast series. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We're bringing you the latest nuance in health and fitness on every episode. And this is episode 201, part two from a recent two-day health and performance seminar in Los Angeles, California. It took place about the middle of November of 2022. If you're listening to this in the future, part one is linked in the description. The format for the Q&A is throughout the weekend, people submit questions at our seminars, and then we curate the questions that we either haven't answered before or the best questions of the lot. And uh, yeah, we, we do our best at the end of the seminar, so Sunday evening. Um, in any case, if you'd like to attend one of our in-person seminars, we've got three on the books for 2023 so far. Uh, we have a brand new pain and rehab seminar. It's in Miami, Florida. That's January of 2023. The whole crew will be there for that one. We're in Atlanta in February, and then we'll be in Brooklyn, New York in May. So those are all linked in the description below. All right, it is announcement time, and I got to tell you, it's our biggest sale of the year. Our Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales going on all weekend starts tomorrow, November 24th at midnight Pacific Standard Time and goes through Monday, ends at 11.59 Pacific Standard Time or 23.59 if you're on that uh, 24-hour clock. Okay, so here's the offer. It's 25% off everything on the website. It's 25% off coaching packages, templates, supplements, seminar tickets, apparel, and we have a mystery shirt offering. Uh, this is obviously while supplies last for the uh, deliverables. Uh, and then for coaching, it's 25% off for new clients uh, on all packages. So whether it's a pain and rehab consultation, whether it's a, a three, six month, one month coaching package uh, for existing clients, we're still going to give you 25% off, but going to have you commit to a six or 12 month package. Uh, so yeah, all that stuff is linked in the description below. And then last thing, there's no codes. It's just directly applied to when you check out, except for the seminars, the seminars we have to sell through Eventbrite. And so there is a code for that. It's thanks 25. Again, that's in the description below. So after you're done listening to this podcast, head over to the website, uh, check out our products, our supplements, our templates, our coaching packages, etc. If you're on the fence, it's a great time to get involved with barbell medicine. We'd love to have you. And uh, yeah. All right. Let's get into this week's podcast. All right. Uh, next question. Quality evidence behind the biohacking genre of content gaining popularity uh, like a coffee enema. I'm big on that. I suppose that might qualify. That's right. Example, 30 minutes of sunlight in the morning, particularly sunning your Yanni. Are you <laughs> into that? Do you, I had to look up how to spell Yanni. How do you think you spell Yanni? I don't know what that is. Okay, it's your peri... <laughs> your urogenital triangle, if you're trying to sun that. Oh, okay. That's your Yanni. How do you think you spell Yanni? Y-A-N-I? I don't it's know. Y-O-N-I. Obviously, okay. you're an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 30 minutes of sunlight in the morning, supplementing with electrolytes, hot and cold exposure for HGH, for human growth hormone, red light therapy, blue light glasses, nasal breathing, and mouth taping. Well, they went in on the examples here. That's a lot of examples. And I, I think, you know, uh, for the evidence on each of those things, I mean, it would just be a very, very long answer. 
Uh, as far as why do people believe in these things, um, some of them have been promulgated by very, very influential individuals based on either their own personal experience, like, oh, I did this, felt this, try it for yourself. That's the evidence, this anecdotal evidence. Some of these things have maybe a mechanistic plausibility in that there's a biological mechanism that seems like it might be beneficial to health, performance, or both, longevity in some cases, um, but has not been replicated in large human data sets, which is why we don't necessarily recommend this stuff. Look, if I could tell you that sunning your nether regions every morning was going to add years to your life or life to your years, I would be up here. We would have a whole section on how to appropriately sun your urogenital triangle. We would give everybody a break in midday to That's go what get we would maximal do. sun We would exposure. do it together, yeah, <laughs> privately, okay? Same thing, look, if there was a performance benefit to be had by supplementing with electrolytes before, during, or after a workout. We, we would do it. We would do it. Look, <laughs> we choke down creatine on a regular basis, and the uh, benefit for that I, is like... A dry scoop. Yeah, straight to the dome. Um, the issue is that if there's not any sort of clinical, clinically relevant signal, meaning that data in humans that actually changes an outcome we care about, uh, it is very difficult to feel confident in recommending these things. And although we do not have the following of you know a Joe Rogan, a Rhonda Patrick, uh, Huberman, etc. There were some names in this question originally that I took out, but there you go. Okay, put them back in. <laughs> uh, although our following is not that big, we do feel like ethically resp uh, uh, charged to be responsible with our recommendations. And so, until there are uh, quality data sets suggesting a benefit. We just can't recommend them. The only thing I'll say on here is with the mouth taping, for example, they do that in some individuals with obstructive sleep apnea who are having difficulties using like a nasal pillow device, and that seems to be a benefit. Had a sleep doctor slide into my DMs and show me some evidence on that. And so in that case, that seems fine. But if you're just doing mouth taping without like <laughs> the CPAP, <laughs> it feels like, I mean, you imagine going to bed, like you say to Lorraine, night, babe, and you just... And she, and she goes to ask you, hey, Austin, where are we, when's our dinner reservation for tomorrow? And you go, mm-mm. <laughs> like, I just don't think that's going to work. Um, yeah, uh, last thing I'll say on this particular question with respect to human growth hormone, like, this is actually an extensively studied hormone as far as how it seems to affect uh, not only health and performance, and it doesn't seem like any fluctuation or like optimization of your HGH as an adult seems to matter. If it drops below a normal level, general badness, but any super physiological doses of HGH do not do anything except for general badness. Make your jaw grow, make your internal organs grow, but you don't get stronger, you don't gain more lean body mass, you don't get leaner, you don't recover from injury faster, you don't get an adamantium skeleton. All you get is a big jaw and a big gut and a lot of money missing from your wallet. So any sort of technique to optimize HGH, raise HGH, take HGH is a money grab. And some people are going to be reading this like, well, I heard that HGH was great. Like, from who? And what are their ties to the industry? <laughs> Just saying. Follow the evidence. Yeah. This, this whole genre of content really irritates me. I think that um, people in general these days are just it's like addicted to more information about anything. And the more they're just regurgitating, you know, this latest thing from this abstract in this rat study or something like that. And, and here's why you should do this thing, just adding more and more and more to the list of things that people need to do every day to achieve perfect health. And then if I look and I take the population who is swallowing that content 
and I look at the article that we have on our website titled like where should my priorities be for health there are like seven mm -hmm. priorities for health on that topic and I take that population and I see what proportion of people in this population are meeting all of these top priorities that I would suggest for people's health to include meeting or exceeding the physical activity guidelines having adequate high quality sleep eating the dietary pattern that we're talking about with respect to you know fiber consumption uh, fruit and vegetable consumption saturated fat content adequate protein things like that etc among the other things on that list the likelihood that the people who are listening to that and trying to stack more and more and more optimization things into their daily routine are meeting all of the things on that list exceptionally slim. Mm. And so we have evidence for so much more effective, uh, you know, big time impacts on health outcomes from these very basic things, but basic things are not super exciting and fun. Uh, and so, you know, nerding out on this stuff that they come out with every week uh, can be addictive in itself, I suppose, for some of these folks. And uh, yeah, I'm not really a fan, particularly when the evidence for it in humans is, is not good. So I am happy to ignore those folks and I recommend you do too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, just care less. That, I got it. Okay. Uh, all right. Next question. How do you view the effectiveness of telehealth? And I would like to make an addendum to this question. Okay. Just remote sort of health coaching. Remote things. Remote things. Yeah. Yeah. How do you view remote things? <laughs> all right. So, Austin, you've been doing this for a minute. How, yeah. do, you view, how do you view the effectiveness yeah, I do telemedicine. I've done it since 2017. Um, have a patient panel, do primary care for them, and do other kind of remote health consults. And as far as how I view the effectiveness, I view it as quite effective. I think that a large proportion of basic primary care uh, does not require a hands-on physical examination. Mm -hmm. The overwhelming majority of it does not require a hands-on physical examination. Um, some situations that may um, you know, or people think may require a hands-on physical examination might, might involve, hey, like this patient has a musculoskeletal pain complaint. We do musculoskeletal pain consults and rehab all the time without hands-on physical examinations of people. It's not to say that no case requires it, but it is not a universal that all patients with that situation need a physical examination by somebody in person. So I feel... Um, you know, it has, I've been doing it again since 2017 and the number of situations where I've had to refer somebody, you need to go see somebody in person for this to get examined. I can barely think of a case. Yeah. <laughs> a huge proportion of the primary care that I've been able to do has been uh, effective from a remote standpoint and has improved, you know, the frequency that I'm able to interact with people compared to in-person appointments where it might be, okay, uh, the soonest follow-up I can give you is four months away or something like that. But I'm wanting to monitor and adjust your blood pressure medicines. With this, I'm able to ping people back and forth and I can tweak their meds once a week yep. or diabetes medicines or something like that. And I can get things adjusted to the level I want and get control of things much faster and things like that. So I've had, I've had a quite positive experience with uh, telemedicine, telehealth yep. sorts of things. I am aware of the evidence on telehealth in primary care and particularly patient satisfaction scores. So patient satisfaction scores are very high with telemedicine. They don't have to go in a doctor's office. They don't have to wait. They see the doctor right away, very convenient to them. And so they rate their satisfaction very, very high, which is interesting because uh, other times where you measure patient satisfaction scores within the clinic that actually negatively correlates to outcomes, like the more satisfied the patient is, the worse they end up doing. And some of that thought is because the doctors will order unwant unnecessary tests or treatments or whatever that ultimately harms the patient and they end up doing worse. So this is kind of a kind of a, a nice pushback against that. With respect to like remote coaching or tele stuff, remote stuff. Um, yeah, tomorrow will actually be the 10 year anniversary of 
filing for the barbell medicine business license. So we've been doing this for 10 years, which is pretty, well, I didn't think we'd make it this far, so <laughs> it's pretty, pretty cool. But um, it, it has been a really interesting like growth uh, uh, trajectory from when we first started um, and just coaching people uh, compared to like when I was coaching folks in the gym. And I think actually the outcomes, if you're measuring like people who are able to sustain weight loss, people who've gotten stronger or maintain their physical activity participation, you're still getting that same self-selected population, right? Of people that are like relatively motivated, ready to change. They're in that either action uh, or even maintenance phase of the trans theoretical model of behavior change. I see you getting that same self-selected population, but I am able to communicate so much more with these people on a regular basis um, because I'm not just seeing them two hours a week, for example, at separate times. They feel like they can email me if there's a problem and then I can communicate a lot of different uh, information to them and give them more resources rather than them having to like remember the stuff or me in addition to seeing them in person, emailing them later on. Uh, so I actually think it's a little bit more effective from a coaching standpoint than what I was doing before. And some of that's definitely due to like experience and, and, and knowledge and whatnot. But uh, man, you'd, I'd be hard pressed to go back to coaching people in person unless it was like, ah, I got some extra time <laughs> uh, and I'd like to do it. You know, I, I do miss like the, the, per, the face-to-face interaction, but not enough to take on a full schedule of like, all right, we're gonna train from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. You know, every single day. Um, so, cool. I'm pumped we made it 10 years too. Are you surprised? No. Ah, man, look at this. Look at that. I'm a hype man. <laughs> when I met Baraki, so I met Baraki. Uh, well, it was that was 2012. Was my like orientation. When you were coming into med school. Yeah, exactly. And the first thing that you know related to barbell medicine, he was like. I got this idea about the sarcopenia article or whatever, and I was like, I will pay you to write this article for barbell medicine rather than do anything else with it. And he's like, okay. And then he wrote it, I read it, and I go, this is genius. <laughs> <laughs> I must acquire this man's friendship. <laughs> no, no. Then we, then we got to lifting together, and then, well, it's a tale as old as time. We became <laughs> great friends, and here we are. So, uh, okay. last, last couple questions. Are we here? All right, almost there. Next question. How to take the ego out of lifting at a lower fatigue level. I'll tell you this, I don't have an easy solution to this. Uh, the problem, and I don't even view it as ego, I think it's more of like a historical perspective on your performance and how that jives with your expectations of yourself on any given day. If you've got this long, multi-year, and in my case, you know, 10 plus year career of lifting weights, particularly at a high level, I know what I can squat for every rep range from one to 20. And anytime that's on the table, I'm like, well, I gotta meet or beat my previous best. <laughs> and anything less than that or is a failure. Uh, same thing with bench press, deadlift, and other exercises I have all these previous exposures to. And so I don't know that that ever goes away, but I think understanding the effectiveness of things that aren't at a limit effort, limit exertion, helps me pick a better weight that is just as effective, but doesn't put me over the edge as far as fatigue goes. And in fact, I think uh, the knowledge uh, that if I can do a higher dose of those less fatiguing things is likely to put me ahead even, um, that has been super useful for my training. So now um, I am able to select lower weights and instead of being like, well, guess I just don't have it today. I'm like, well, this is just as effective as if I lifted 10 pounds more it's not an all-time PR, 
but it's just as effective and I feel fine about it. My training sessions now are so much less stressful to me from like a mental standpoint. I, I would never have like squat anxiety, bench anxiety, deadlift anxiety where I'd be worrying all day, but I would be perseverating about the number. I have to hit this today. If not, everything's off the rails. This is going poorly or whatever. And now when I go in the gym, it's a, it's a more fun experience. And I have loved training for such a long time that I look back at that period where I was like, it's gotta be heavier, it's gotta be more, I gotta progress. I'm like, that must have been a dark cloud. You know, just very irritable, angry. How much caffeine do I need to take? How much Rick Ross do we need? You know, how much Olympic Randall Strawson Iron Mind videos <laughs> do we need to watch in the background of the garage to get hyped up for this? Um, so yeah, I don't know that I would ever take your ego out. You, you just can't, right? It's just there. It's like always in the background. The, the point is if you understand and agree that lifting at a relatively lighter weight, so lower intensity, uh, greater uh, or uh, lower proximity to failure is just as effective as lifting a heavier weight and closer to failure, then why does it matter to you? And my whole thing, if you're not gonna PR, then who cares? If a PR is on the table, take it. Yeah, send it, do the thing. But if it's not a PR, who cares? You match an old PR? Nobody cares about that. You set a new PR at a higher rep range? No one cares about that. I'm serious, right? And to be fair, no one cares about your PRs, period. All right? And once you finally internalize that, he, he, he took my you, answer away. Once <laughs> you finally internalize that, then you've reached Austin's final form. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but I think some of this is knowledge related and then also just accepting like we're all humans and we have these desires to be better than we were before. I think that's fine. It's just gonna happen over a longer period of time. That's okay. Yeah, I think that a lot of what you described about your experience matches exactly what my experience had been along the way, so I don't necessarily need to rehash that. There are some other things that you kind of learn through experience and, and uh, can help to make this process easier. I mean, I think about all of you are going to experience setbacks. All of you already have experienced some form of setback in training, and sometimes pretty major setbacks. I think about, you know, one of my recurring issues on and off over the years has related to certain kinds of elbow tendinopathy, and so I'll get my bench up to 400, and then something will get sensitive and pissed off, and I have to back way off. Sometimes I've had to back off as light as the empty bar, and then I'll work back up, and oh, sweet, 420 went. Elbows pissed off shortly thereafter. <laughs> to back all, sometimes all the way down to the empty bar and then work up again. Oh, sweet, 440, okay, damn it, elbows hurting again, back all the way up. And so you, after multiple bouts of running through this kind of thing and coming back stronger than before every time, it helped me to eject this idea of like artificial um, uh, time constraints that there are on training. Um, this idea that you have to make your training progress efficiently that you need to do it as fast as possible and anything else is wasting time. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing that makes people make stupid decisions in training, among others. But that's a major driver is this idea that if I don't add weight as quickly as possible, for example, as is commonly recommended in the beginner phase of training, then it's wasting time. No, it's not. Because you can do it as fast as possible. At some point, you're gonna have an injury or experience pain or need to back off or something's gonna happen in your life and stress you out or you're gonna miss a couple sessions or your sleep's gonna be bad, you're gonna have no choice but to reduce the weight or something. And it's like, okay, well, if I did the math, how many sessions did I lose in this sort of thing? And then ultimately you come out ahead in the long run. This is a very, very, very long game. And so to the extent that I wasted time by having to back off 400 pounds on my, on my bench training, as an example, and then still come back and exceed the prior level of performance. So why do I care so much about what's happening today? Day to day, yeah. 
on a particular day. Why am I putting so much emphasis on the performance today in the gym, in my garage, at home, with nobody around, nobody cares about this, why do I care about this so much? Oh, I don't care about this. <laughs> I'll just take what's there and it's fine. And, I'll, and then the more you do that, it kind of snowballs. Positive momentum of, that was a win today, instead of overshooting, failing, feeling bad afterwards, something like that, right? And that continues to snowball to where, like you were saying, now, Walking into a training session is easy. Walking out of a training session is easy. And I'm like, oh, I can do this training program as I did for two years straight, basically, to the same weekly program because I felt great all the time and numbers would fluctuate a bit, but on, in general, we're, we're trending upwards and I had no issues. Um, so I think it's something that um, you probably have to have the combination of the like rational knowledge of us saying, okay, going from six to seven to eight to nine to 10 RPE has a pretty quickly plateauing effectiveness in terms of the stimulus it gives you while it has an exponential rise in the fatigue cost and you will pay that cost whether you want it or whether you like it or not. So that like intellectual rational knowledge and combine that with the experience of, okay, when I buy into this and I stay a rep or two or three or four away from failure, I feel better, I can do more, I burn out less, I have to deload less frequently if ever, right? Not every three or four weeks or whatever the case is or resets or whatever you want to call them. And in general, things go better. So yeah. that's been my experience. Yeah. So I got this, uh, now I'm on this bodybuilding tip, you know, trying to get thick and juicy for the winter because nobody else cares. Okay. Um, I told the person who I had helped me program this that my default would be to add weight all the time to try to lift as much weight as possible because that's just who I am as a person. And he goes, and you don't want to do that? And I go, I just don't want to do the same thing that I always do, which is just end up reverting to, ah, oh, this is a couple sets of five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> like, let's max out. Um, and he goes, oh, what about like a rep range? What if instead of, all right, we're going to do a set of six at eight or two reps left in reserve, what if we do a range of six to ten? And the only way you can add weight is if through across all the sets you hit ten, ten, ten reps. And then next week you can add a little bit of weight. Yeah, go, double progression kind of That's deal. genius. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, so anyway, that's how I'm like saving myself from myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, boy. Not hugely important. But seeing as one of you rates himself as above average on jokes, <laughs> any snappy comebacks for a female powerlifter that occasionally receives unsolicited advice on form if she ventures into a commercial <laughs> gym? Oh boy. Let me tell you this. Uh, so I, now that I've joined recently a new gym that is kind of a commercial gym, um, I see all sorts of awful things. <laughs> all, awful things. In fact, I was thinking about doing a tweet thread on like all the things that I've seen that I'm like, oh boy. But then I thought about being more positive, and I'm seeing a bunch of positive things. There you go. Yeah. Look at that. 100%. These people are, look, they're all lifting, mm -hmm. which is great. They're all pushing themselves. They all seem to have some sort of program, because I see them like methodically like work their way okay. around the gym. It's great. There's a good social set. It's, look, it's very positive. Uh, but I will never, and have never, in my life, gone up to somebody while they're doing their exercise or afterwards and been like, you know, if you did this, this would actually be better for your technique, for your performance or whatever. If they ask me, I may comment, but not certainly not during and, and definitely not even after. I can see people deadlifting from across the room with full-on cat back sort of thing. Look at your face, right? You were, yeah, and I'm like, eh, it's, they're probably fine. They know what they're doing. And they probably were fine. And they probably were fine, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
As far as snappy comebacks, though, I, I'm just trying to think of ways to diffuse the situation. Like, I don't have a bunch of great jokes because I've never personally experienced this. No one's ever come up to me after my deadlifts and been like, you know, if you push your knees out more, you'll actually be able to activate your adductor magnus. And so I'm more curious. Okay, so we have a lot of women here. Uh, what's, is there, have you been in a commercial gym recently? Um, yeah. Put you on the spot? Do people say anything to you? No. No? no? Okay, you're a coach, so nobody's saying anything to you. They are. They all, wait, what? In your own gym? No. No. Commercial. What do people say to you? Um, hey, you could angle your arms more. Hey. You could what your arms more? Angle your arms. Angle. Angle? Okay. <laughs> that seems oddly nonspecific. <laughs> Little tips. Like mid-set this Have you ever tried like no hablo inglés? <laughs> you could do that, no hablo inglés. <laughs> yeah, try that. Or you could say, you know, I actually, I'm deaf. Or something like that. You could say that. Like, don't. I can't hear you. Uh, that'd be interesting, I guess. I'm just trying to think about like the psychology of a person going up to a complete stranger, offering them form tips, and then expecting like a thank you afterwards. I mean, I think that that I would just thanks and go on with your life is a perfectly reasonable response. Yeah, maybe like thank, <laughs> thanks, but no. Yeah, or no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, Leah, when's the last time you were in a commercial gym? Uh, it's been a couple years. Oh, okay. Cassie? It's No one says because you're you're too strong. Because you're deadlifting 170 kilos yeah, or something. Like, oh, I don't do that anymore. Right, right. I used to do that. They're like, oh, back when you were strong, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just really troll them aggressive. You sure they have a cousin that they yeah, know. Yeah, I usually just say, oh, thank you, but I'm fine. No. Anybody else have any? Any of the women here? Yeah. Any something something egregious? Oh, and what did you what did you say? Yeah, I, again, no hablo inglés would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, but no. Yeah, I'm just thinking. All right, so if you're watching, if you're right. Yeah, so yeah, how strong are you? <laughs> right, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Like, so if you're watching this video, so a few thousand people watch this. Maybe we're like 65,000 subs. Okay. Yeah, we're doing it. If you're watching this video and you happen to be uh, a man and you're considering, like, should I go up to this woman and offer her form advice, the, there, the algorithm goes directly to no. Nope, never should. But what if she's about to injure herself? Nope. What if I think she could benefit from my instruction? Nope. The only time, in fact, that you should give a woman, or actually anybody else, some form advice is if they ask you. If they ask you. And if you are not qualified to give such advice, what you should say is, I don't really know. I just know it works for me. And that would be a perfectly truthful and fine answer. Uh, so yeah, just, I, I don't know. So if you're watching this, if you're a woman watching this and you have like really interesting, egregious stories, like send them to us, I would love to blast this stuff on social media with a funny quip to like, but, I, but I'm thinking diffusing the situation, right? It's like, cause you just don't want them to come up to you again. That's, that's the whole point, right? Just like, leave me alone. What I've done, Jordan, I've actually got told that many times, believe it or not. Wait, to, for them to leave you alone? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, get out, Sean. Unsolicited advice. Yeah, sure. Come up to me in commercial gym. And the thing is, I don't look strong, so I'm totally cool with that. I don't get offended. My sure. snappy comeback, which is actually, I guess, polite, is, oh, I'll try that next time. Oh, I sure. You and just. The funniest follow up is when I. I don't do what they said, and I'll do my normal form. They're like, see, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, bias. Yeah, of little, course. There you go. Yeah, in the flesh. <laughs> Man, I, you know, 
Does anybody say, when's the last time you were in a commercial gym? You've been in the military gyms. Yeah, I use military gyms all the time. Do people say anything to you? No. Never? No. I only get comments like. I just get eyeballed. 100%. Myron. Yes. People are like, how much weight is that? I'm like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> or if it, even if it's not, I just, it's a lot. Yeah. It's uh, all right. Bes- the last one? Yep. Besides barbell medicine seminars, what other continuing education would you recommend for a strength coach or any fitness slash healthcare professional? Uh, what was that guy's uh, uh, pain seminar you went to? Uh, was it uh, Ben? Uh, ben Cormax? Yeah. And you, Greg, you, Greg, Greg Lehman's, both of those guys are good for pain stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had any particular answers. I'm happy to start. Yeah, start, <laughs> do your thing. So there is a lot of excellent information out there. Um, the reason I included this question, though, was because not in a, I don't want this to come across in a negative or pejorative way, but it reminds me a bit of the biohacking question in the sense that people think that more information and content is necessarily going to be better. And I think that even if you came to this seminar this weekend, I, am, I would be ecstatic if you left this seminar retaining, I don't know, 15% of what we, yeah. talk, what we talked yeah, about. I think it's 10%. Yeah. And so I don't know that I, my, my thought is here's more content for you. Here's more continuing education content because there is a lot of really excellent, basic, fundamental information that would be helpful for people to absorb, retain, and redeploy with their clients and patients and things like that, that I would much rather you master the topics of behavior change that we used to start out the weekend with right? Physical activity guidelines that I said in the next, that I talked about in the next lecture, all this stuff relating to obesity and how we talk about it, how we address it, um, how we think about it in the next lecture, the stuff relating to cardiovascular disease, blood lipids, blood pressure, metabolic health, diabetes, things like that. Getting a really good handle on the basics of what we should be doing for that. If you're a coach from the lifestyle standpoint, if you're a clinician from the clinical standpoint, if you're a layperson from the what can I do myself to improve this kind of thing, rather than I just need more content, even though the basics, the fundamental stuff that can help with this, like going and worrying about uh, whatever, supplementing electrolytes and other ridiculous things that Huberman is recommending while you are not getting adequate sleep, while you are not meeting physical activity guidelines, while your dietary pattern leaves much to be desired, while you may be consuming a bit too much alcohol, uh, among many, many, many other things. It's like the basics get us so, so, so far. And uh, without mastering that as a regular person, as it related to that question, or as a coach and clinician, mastering not only this information, but how do I convey it to people, and how do I facilitate behavior change to achieve those things before I start jumping to more information, more content, more CME, CEU kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so unless you feel like I knew everything that they talked about already this weekend, I would suggest really mastering that stuff <laughs> before seeking out more, more, more in other places. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I mean, I think our reference list at the end of each section, like if you haven't read the majority of those studies or, or, or uh, guidelines, I think that would be a great place to start that also happens to be free. So that's, that's kind of nice. Um, but I think, you know, maybe what somebody was asking with this question is like, who else should I like? Yeah, I get to. And I think, and this is, look, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on our podcast later and you're like, 
but we're friends. How come you left us out? I said, I forgot your name. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. So this is a non-exhaustive list of people that we we tend to like and we tend to share their information. So you said Greg Lehman. You said Ben Cormack. Yep. Uh, I like the Alinea stuff from Alan Flanagan, the Sigma Nutrition stuff, the Nadolsky brothers. That's Dr. Spencer Nadolsky and his brother, Carl Nadolsky. They have a podcast. Mm-hmm. They call it the Docs Who Lift. Yeah. You think we should like say something about Challenge that? Challenge them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, we listen and and follow lots of their stuff. And again, we all. It is interesting because we all seem to agree on very similar stuff. And you guys are like that's just an echo chamber. And it's like, well, we all use the same epistemology to come to these kind of ideas. And it's like, well, the data says this, so here's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we share the same beliefs. And so that's kind of nice. But they put out a lot of these folks put out a lot of additional information in. Um, topics and fields and with other experts that are tangential to the stuff that we talked about this weekend. Yep. Any other like professionals that you really like? I very much enjoy Knuckles and Trexler's sense of humor. Yeah. And <laughs> even, even their dry humor is good. Their content's good. Their uh, analysis of evidence is good. Eric, sure. Helm, Eric Helms is a friend and does yeah. good stuff um, as Iron well. Co- so. Iron Culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Uh, anything else? Those are probably most of the ones that immediately come to mind. If you go to our podcast and you scroll through like all the guests that we've had, those would be like a good. That would be a good resource of people that were like pretty pretty on on brand with their uh, content. Um, but I yeah I, I agree with Austin. It's like there's a lot of stuff in this seminar and a lot of continuing ed stuff we provided with you uh, provided to you uh, that you can continue to access on your own at your own free on your own free will. So anything else? Is that it? Cool. I think we did it. Thank you guys so much for coming out. That's a wrap on the LA Seminar. All right, that is a wrap on part two of our question and answer session from our latest two-day health and performance seminar in Los Angeles, California at Monarch Athletic Club. Again, our biggest sale of the year is going on on the website right now. Well, technically tomorrow because you're listening to this on Wednesday. So tomorrow, Thursday at midnight Pacific Standard Time, 25% off site-wide. Again, it's automatically applied to your cart when you check out on everything in the store, uh, except for seminars. If you want to get to one of our live in-person learning events, head over to Eventbrite and use the code THANKS25. Take 25% off your purchase there. All right. For everyone here at Barbell Medicine, I'm Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. Thank you for listening. Before you guys go anywhere, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps drive traffic to our podcast so we can keep bringing you all the latest nuance in health and fitness. See you guys soon. Happy Thanksgiving. credit card bill.